0: Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. I know there's a lot at stake in these midterm elections, from our economy to the safety of our streets, but there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. The divider in chief. Mega, MAGA Republican officials who don't believe in the rule of law. That's ridiculous. This is not civil discourse. This is very dangerous. What comes next? Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Friday's edition of News and Views. Uh, You're not going to believe some of the things that these libs are saying about Republicans. It is beyond the pale. We'll get to some of that. Got a good interview lined up for you as well. You're going to find interesting at about 20 past the hour. Carolina Journal, first of all, though, is reporting there's a new poll out and is showing that parents are concerned over the politicization and safety in our public schools. David Bass writes a new Civitas poll that North Carolina parents are concerned about the safety of students in the classroom and the politicization of public schools is pretty obvious, according to this poll, 72% of parents surveyed said classroom instruction has become more political in the last five years, you think? That concern was bipartisan. 84% of Republicans saying that they are worried, 69% of independents, and 67% of Democrats. It might be pretty obvious why there are more Republicans concerned than Democrats, uh, because the poll goes on to say, who's to blame? 41% said both parties, while 29% put the blame on Republicans Half that put the blame on the Republicans, 14%. Growing numbers of Americans are beginning to think of classrooms as places of indoctrination. Infested with politics, that's a sharp criticism of public education, said Bob Lupke, director of Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation, 47% reported agreeing with the statement that teachers share their personal beliefs in the classrooms in an attempt to influence the beliefs of their students, compared to 35% who disagree. For a solution, a plurality of parents, 36%, chose requiring teachers to show no preference for certain ideas. 27% said that certain topics should be prohibited in the classroom. 17% said teacher lessons plans should be published online. And 12% said there should be cameras in the classroom. Yeah, you think? I mean... The, the one silver lining of COVID is that parents got to see firsthand how the kids were being indoctrinated as the classroom came into the homes via Zoom. 45% of parents say too much time is spent teaching about sexual preference and gender identity. That holds especially true for Republicans, independents, rural and suburban parents. And parents between the ages of 35 and 64 asked to rank the biggest challenge facing public schools. 19% said teacher shortages and lack of staff. 14% said unsafe schools. 12% said the politicization of schools. 11% said inappropriate topics on sexual orientation and gender fluidity. fluidity, And 10% a lack of support and respect for teachers. Uh, I am surprised uh, at those last percentages that, um, that is the, I mean, that might be the challenge for the schools, but maybe if you worded the question, what is the challenge to make sure the children have a sound education and getting back to the three R's, I think you would have had different answers to that last question. Speaking of schools, just days before North Carolina's midterm elections, the state Supreme Court Democrat majority ruled today that state officials can be ordered to transfer funds to try and provide students their constitutional right to a sound basic education. Now, you know, it's curious that uh, they lean upon the constitutional right for a sound basic education as they basically ignore the separation of powers that is well written about in our federal constitution, as well as our state constitution, the separation of powers, because basically the North Carolina Supreme court has said, you know what? We're a super legislature. We are now going to tell the legislature how to, to send out the money, how to send out the checks, how to spend the money that is up to the legislature, pure and simple. In fact, the, uh, Writing, and by the way, this was this vote came in exactly along party lines. Uh, it, no doubt that the uh, North Carolina Supreme Court is looking at the polls and realizing that, uh, you know what, we're not going to have the majority come next week. Uh, so they're shoving this through at the last moment. But uh, writing for the minority, Judge Phil Berger Jr. writes, under no circumstance, Should this court take the astonishing step of proclaiming that the inherent authority permits the judiciary, the court, to ordain itself as super legislatures? This action is contrary to our system of government, destructive of separation of powers, and the very definition of tyranny as understood by our founding fathers. Uh, This is the Leandro case in which um, it was a 1994 Uh, filed by a low-wealth school district to get more state funding. And by by the way, who was in charge back in ninety four? It wasn't the Republicans when, when this came down. And what have the Republicans been doing since they took over the majority in the legislature? They have been spending more and more and more dollars every year for public education. So the idea that they're not spending money is ludicrous. But yet you have these judges that have come in and said, no, nope, you've got to cut a check. Now, it was up in the billions, but now they've got it down. You've got to cut a check and transfer money from the Treasury over to the Board of Education to the tune of $800 million. You know, uh, the governor came out. He said, uh, uh, how did he word it? Uh, Cooper said in the statement on, on Friday, As the North Carolina Supreme Court has affirmed today, we must do more for our students all across North Carolina. It's our constitutional duty to ensure every child has access to a sound basic education. Again, uh, going to the Constitution is rather ironic as they destroy the separation of powers. But if the governor thinks that just writing a check, I mean, that's what the Democrats say all the time, right? If, If there's an issue here, just spend more money, just throw more money at it. The idea that there's going to be a sound education for every child just because you, uh, even if you were to cut a check for $800 million. Uh, and by the way, this uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court has sent this back to a lower court for their reconsideration. It is, it, it is uh, not necessarily the the final uh, say so in this. I, I, don't, I don't think you can see Dale Falwell uh, ex- sending uh, a, a check for $800 million over to the State Board of Education anytime soon. Just saying. Uh, and speaking of that uh, Supreme Court and the Supreme Court races, the Carolina Journal is also reporting that um, there are, across the nation, 84 Supreme Court seats up for grabs in next Tuesday's election. That's over 30 states. Two seats for the North Carolina Supreme Court up for grabs. North Carolina Democrat uh, Lucy Inman faces Republican Richard Dietz for the open seat three on the high court. Incumbent Associate Justice Sam Irvin is trying to defend his number five seat against Republican challenger Trey Allen. What's interesting about this, uh, too, is Uh, This is not looking good, as as most contests are not looking good for Democrats. It's true also in this, uh, the latest polling from uh, Signal on behalf of John Locke, which uh, this was taken about two weeks ago, well, not even two weeks ago, uh, uh, October 20th through the 22nd. uh, They have Richard Dietz, the Republican, up at 48.8%, almost 49%, over Lucy Enman at 42.4%. So a six percent difference, six and a half percent difference there. Eight point eight undecided. Again, typically, and you talked a number of different pollsters. Typically, the undecideds end up going with the majority. So if the Republicans are ahead, the majority of undecideds will go with the Republicans. Um, if the Democrats were ahead, the majority, the undecided, would go with that majority. Uh, in the Allen-Irvin race, Republican Trey Allen is up 49.4% over Sam Irvin at 42%. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, a 7%, almost an eight, seven 7.5% uh, increase that uh, Trey Allen has over Sam Irvin. What's interesting about this, though, is the, the amount of money that um, these 84 Supreme Court seats are generating. And North Carolina has more money spent— on this race, than every other state except for the state of Illinois, 14 million a total on these, these Supreme Court races, a total of 50 million dollars is spent nationwide. 14 million dollars spent in North Carolina. The only state to spend more was uh, up in Illinois. 18 million spent in that race. According to data analyzed by Ad Impact, Fifty seven million dollars spent for ads for the state Supreme Court races nationwide are split thirty one million by Republicans, twenty four million by Democrats. Most of the money, forty seven million, is focused on Illinois, North Carolina, Ohio, and Michigan. About five million dollars is spent by Senate uh, Republican State Leadership Committee. Republican and Democrat groups are funding ad campaigns nationwide. Um, it's, uh, it, this is, these are, these perhaps, in fact, John Hood had an article out today talking about the fact that, uh, the most important races perhaps in the state of North Carolina are these two Supreme court races. That's probably, those are the races you heard the least about, but, uh, when you go to vote, (laughs) please, please, please make sure that, uh, you note the Supreme court races and, uh, The good news again, this is, I think, the second time we've had a statewide race on the ballot for the judiciary in which, uh, now that it used to be this way years ago, and they took, you know, the Democrats got in charge uh, and they voted to remove the designate, the party affiliation, the R or the D next to the candidate. They did that because they were getting clobbered. People know that the more serious candidate when it comes to crime. And the rule of law are the Republican candidates, and uh, so the Democrats said, "Hey, you know what? We'll do. We'll remove the the party um, affiliation from the ballot, which has been gone. It was returned. uh, It was either two or four years ago. Uh, It will be on the ballot this time. a, A clear advantage for the Republicans, because again, people know when they go to the ballot box." Uh, and they see that uh, uh, judicial race, and they see an R next to the name of the candidate, they say, well, these people are a little bit more serious about the rule of law. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Stay with us because we've got a good interview coming up from the Heritage Foundation concerning a new poll. Speaking of crime, uh, there is a a new, what's a new study, not a poll so much, but it uh, verifies something that everyone is suspicious of and really is a counter to a study out by the third way, saying that uh, Republicans are not serious about crime. Stay with us. We'll have that when we get back. This is your Drive at Five, and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. A study published last night, last night, last month, by a left-leaning advocacy group, Third Way. The study was entitled the red state murder problem, it stated that murder rates are far higher in Trump voting red states than in Biden voting blue states. The author of the third-way study, either intentionally neglected or simply don't understand that the criminal justice system within the 50 states is not a homogeneous nationwide system, but rather an amalgamation of thousands of microcosms consisting of federal, state, and county and local law enforcement agencies and prosecutors and unique approaches to the enforcement of law, so says the Heritage Foundation and the authors of a new study by the Heritage Foundation called the Blue City Murder Problem. Cully Stimson is one of the three authors of that study. He's on the phone with us right now. Cully, welcome to News and Views. Good to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, um, was was your study basically in response to this? Third way study the red state murder problem, saying, "Wait a minute, hold your horses!" Because uh, this third way study, uh, according to a a study in uh, an article in Fox News, says that it has been quoted in the Washington Post, the San Francisco Examiner, NBC News, uh, any liberal publication that uh, wanted to propagate these numbers, they grabbed a hold of this third way study. Was that why you responded in such a way with your study? Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean. Theirs isn't a study, by the way, either. It's a 15-page 15 ta- 15 paper that they published in March. But the left uh, and mainstream liberal media have picked up on it. And, of course, what's really behind this is they're trying to flip the political narrative to convince people uh, that actually it's Republican or not the law and order people. It's the Democrats who are the law and order people, because they realize that there many Democratic politicians are vulnerable because of the rising crime rates in, mo- in many cities. And right. So they're just trying to engage in political jujitsu here. And we know, because I'm a prosecutor at the local, state, and federal level, and my colleague who helped write the paper was a prosecutor at the federal level, that crime, and violent crime in particular, is geographically uh, uh, concentrated. And it's also demographically concentrated, and it's almost always in big cities. And so we thought that this, notion that there's a state murder rate we knew it had no it meant nothing and so we wanted to look at their so-called study and we published our our actual study with a statistician uh and looked at actual crime rates where it matters in the cities and of course lo and behold you know the top 30 cities with the highest murder rates. 27 of the 30 are run by democrats half of those have soros bought and paid for rogue prosecutors accounting for 78 percent of the murders in those cities. And so, you know, this facts are stubborn things, which we wrote about in our paper, and these are the facts. So there is no political cotton to what they're saying.
0: When did Soros really actively begin to try to get these uh, prosecutors uh, into office and uh, the cause and effect uh, of them getting into office? How immediate was that related to seeing the spike of violent crimes?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Zach Smith and I, my co-author, have a book coming out in March on this very topic about uh, rogue prosecutors uh, bought and paid for by George Soros. The first rogue prosecutor he funded nationally was Kim Fox in Chicago in 2015. And when she displaced uh, or replaced, um, beat a Democrat incumbent female Latina who was the sitting DA in Chicago called the state's attorney, uh, they realized that they could take their program nationally. And so then you see other Soros bought and paid for rogue prosecutors like Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, George Gascon in L.A., Chester Boudin in San Francisco, who was just recalled, uh, Kim Gardner in, in St. Louis, uh, Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, who was just right. uh, lost her primary, Rachel Rollins up in Boston, and a handful of others. And, um, you know, the, the pathetic thing about these races is— um, you know, these are races where Soros' money, or the money he filters through his packs, pays for sometimes 70%, 80% of the money that they raise in the race and spend. Uh, and so they are literally buying offices. And yeah. they realize that DA races, the 300 DAs, uh, elected DAs in the country, are usually low visibility and low dollar affairs when it comes to the election. So he can, with a small amount of money, uh, really influence who your DA is, and since the DA is the gatekeeper to the criminal justice system, he decides who and who does not get prosecuted, they can reverse engineer the criminal justice system, which is their goal.
0: Well, explain his goal to me. Why do they want to reverse it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's it's perverted. Uh, It's twisted, so sit down and make sure you can understand what I'm trying to say they're saying.
0: I'll try my best.
1: Yeah. They operate under two fundamental beliefs. One, that the entire criminal justice system is systemically racist. Of course, it's not. Uh, And two, that the only way to change that uh, is to, quote, fundamentally reverse engineer and dismantle, unquote, the criminal justice system. Those are their words, not ours. And, of course, we have an adversarial criminal justice system. I was a defense lawyer. I loved it. I was a prosecutor. I loved it. I was a judge, and I loved it. But we rely on a zealous, aggressive, ethical prosecutor going head to head with a zealous, ethical, aggressive defense attorney and a neutral detached judge to get to the truth of the matter. Well, they're replacing prosecutors with essentially public defenders with power. And that destroys the adversarial nature of the criminal justice system. So every single one of these Soros bought paid-for Road prosecutors are pro criminal, they're anti victim, they see the police as the, the criminal. And they ignore real victims. And every single one of their policies, which we've been writing about at Heritage.org for two years, inure to the benefit of the criminal. Not one inures to the benefit of real victims. And that's a tragedy. And it has resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands of black and brown people in the inner cities. And that's the real tragedy.
0: But, but again, what is the, what is their bottom line? I mean, I understand they want chaos. But why, why would they want these people dead? Why would they want... To to have law and order destroyed and uh, mayhem be the rule of the day.
1: You know, I can't get inside the head of Soros or Terry Tuna or Moskowitz, who are the big billionaire uh, funders of these rogue prosecutor packs or races. Um, But I think it's sort of a modern, a, a form of modern day reparations in their mind. They think, even though everyone knows that. Eighty-five percent plus of people who are actually in prison are there for violent crime, and that there is—I'm sorry—a problem with violent crime in the black community. There just is. That's empirically true. That by but the biggest
0: victims are 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 in the black community as well. Yeah,
1: right. And that and that's and that's the sick irony of this movement.
0: They pretend
1: that their policies are, you know, reimagining. Uh, prosecution and reimagining criminal justice uh, and that it's not linked to or directly causing the rise in crime. It is, in fact, doing that. Uh, And they're ignoring the fact that their policies uh, directly contribute to the deaths of tens of deaths, rapes, shootings, burglaries, assaults, carjacking of tens of thousands of victims who wouldn't be victims, had they just been real prosecutors instead of rogue prosecutors.
0: Have you seen any of these prosecutors or anyone that has been propagating this ideology uh, wake up and say, oops, you know, I might have had good intentions, but I suddenly realize I'm looking at the actual statistics and this is a a total disaster?
1: No, they're not allowed to do that because they're bought and paid for and they have to use the talking points provided by Fair and Just Prosecution and these other front groups for soros. Uh, and so the quid pro quo is we buy you into office and you mouth our talking point. How many and of so them they're are not there? Going to do that. How
0: many of them are there? The Soros prosecutors across the nation.
1: So several dozen remember there's 2,300 elected DAs around the country, but they're in huge cities. Uh, so in addition to the eight that I mentioned before you have John Cruz, Dallas, uh, you have, um, three in Virginia, uh, Steve Descano in Fairfax County, one in Arlington County, one in Loudoun County. Uh, You have Glenn Funk in in Nashville. Um, And, and, you know, they're not going to stop at the big cities. They've tried to knock off the San Diego DA, Summer Stephan, twice by running a rogue prosecutor, but she has defeated them twice. That's that's one of the gets they want to, that one of the offices they want. Um, And so they're not going to stop. Uh, they're spending tens of millions of dollars. I think the number, to the best of our recollection, is around 45 or 50 of these okay. around the country. But these are 70 percent of the population in the United States wow. uh, in those 75 cities. So we're, it's, it's a significant yeah. problem. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, how many of them are up for reelection in the next Tuesday? And uh, you said one, was it in Boston, lost her primary?
1: No, the one who lost her primary, thank God, was Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore. Oh, that's right, in Baltimore. Um, Yeah, Rachel Rollins, uh, who listed on her website 15 crimes you can commit in Boston, including breaking and entering, (laughs) and possession with a distribute any drug, was nominated by President Biden to be the U.S. attorney for the entire state of Massachusetts. And the Senate confirmed her with a tie-breaking rope of— the vice president. So she's now the federal prosecutor for
0: all of Massachusetts. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. You you mentioned in the article uh, under crime trends until recently, crime, including violent crime, has been declining across the United States since the peak of the last crime wave in 1992. Not surprisingly, since incarceration trails, crime waves, incarceration rates have also been falling dramatically since they last peaked in 2008. That does not follow the narrative you hear coming from the liberals. They keep telling no, us how it's um, it's packed and it's it's getting worse and and, and uh, you know it's 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 the as you said earlier the prime example of systemic racism.
1: Yeah, um, look, uh, less than one percent of people are in state prison for possession of marijuana despite the narrative that we're just locking up black people for marijuana less than one percent and the amount of marijuana they had in their possession was several hundred pounds. So these are distributors, okay? Right, right, right. Uh, the vast majority of people who are in prison are in prison for violent crimes, rape, murder, aggravated assault, armed robbery, etc. Those are Bureau of Justice statistics. Those aren't Stimson and Smith's statistics. But secondly, um, I think there's a strong argument to be made, which we make in our book, uh, and Barry Latzer makes in his book, The Myth of, Myth of Overpunishment, that we're not incarcerating enough people in prison. Hmm. Only 50% of the homicides around the country are solved. 6% of rapes are solved. About 7 or 8% of burglaries and robberies are solved. So that means you have a bunch of people who are murderers, rapists, burglars, robbers, carjackers who get away with it. Now, I don't know any people who think a murderer should run free. So that means that half of the murderers out there, if they're not in jail on something else, are running around in our community. And I think any normal person with half a brain is going to say every rapist should go to prison for some period of time. Every murderer should. Every armed robber, every violent criminal should go to prison for some period of time. So this idea, this myth that we have mass incarceration may have been true in 93, 4, 5 when the incarceration rates rose up. But what are you going to do with them? The ACLU and the rest of them, they want to have, in other words, cut in half amount of people in prison. Well, since 80% of them are in prison for violent crimes, what do you do with them? Give them a lollipop? And and tell them not to commit a crime again? No. We have a crime problem in our country, especially compared to our uh, brothers and sisters in Europe, and we have to deal with the underlying causes of crime. Lack of a two-parent household, work ethic, faith, all the stuff that's a lot harder to do than just trot out these full tested uh, feel-good words like mass incarceration and that sort of thing.
0: We're talking to uh, Cully Stimson. He's one of the authors of the Heritage Foundation study, The Blue City Murder Problem. It was, released to, I guess it was just released today, wasn't it? Was it was it? this morning, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how has the uh, open borders affected uh, the whole crime deal? Uh,
1: it's a big problem. Uh, it's a big problem because, unfortunately, the number one killer in America today is fentanyl. And fentanyl is pouring through uh, the southern border, uh, and the administration knows it. Everyone knows it, and they're doing nothing about it. Uh, and when you have an illicit drug that is as powerful as fentanyl, much, you know, dozens and dozens of times more powerful than heroin, um, you know every state essentially you've heard is border state now because right. you have the effects of an open border uh, affecting in a cancerous way every little community. I'm here in the eastern shore of Maryland right now where I happen to be doing a work project, and uh, I see on the billboard in front of the Wicomico County Sheriff's Office the number of overdose deaths just this year and just this month, and it's a significant number. And this is a small county in Maryland. This county is no different than the 3,142 other counties around this country, and so we got to get serious about border security. Um, and so, this administration has been uh, essentially a co-conspirator uh, with those who are the part of the open border crowd and the cartels to let this number of people across the border.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, is, it is tragic, and uh, if we don't get serious about it, and if, if the federal government doesn't get serious about uh, closing that border, it's just going to continue to get worse. Uh, Cully Stimson, thanks for joining us. And Now, how can people get a hold of your study, The Blue City Murder Problem? Is it available at Heritage.com?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, no. Uh, Heritage.org. It's on the slash page at heritage.org. It's also uh, listed as an exclusive on foxnews.com where they cross-reference it, and you can go on any of our social media sites, because apparently it's getting a lot of play in social media, because facts are stubborn things, and leftists don't like the political rug being pulled out from under them when they're lying,
0: and they get caught lying. Uh, And your book coming out next spring is called again?
1: Yeah. It's going to be called Rogue Prosecutors, How... Soros bought and paid for uh, prosecutors are pro-criminal and anti-victim, and it'll be coming out in March uh, by Bombardier Books. It'll be available in all stores
0: around the country. Uh, By the way, just before I let you go, do do you think George Soros and this philosophy of putting all these prosecutors, have they overplayed their hand? Is it beginning to backfire? Are the people beginning to wake up?
1: I hope so. Uh, I think so. Uh, You saw... Uh, liberal voters in San Francisco, 94% are registered Democrats, oust Tessa Boudin. You see the Pennsylvania House now trying to impeach Larry Krasner. You saw Governor DeSantis uh, remove Andrew Warren, who's a bought-and-paid-for rogue prosecutor. You saw uh, homicides went up by a third, so did rapes in Baltimore when Marilyn Mosby came into office, and now she lost her primary. So I think the shine is coming off this movement. We're exposing them for what they are. We're proud that we coined the term rogue prosecutors. Don't ever call them progressive because there's nothing progressive about them.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and I think the shine is coming off them because, because, you know what? You know who really wants law and order in their neighborhood? The, the people to live in
0: those. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Right. 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 They want cops who they trust, who they know, who look like them, but who enforce the law. Because right. everyone knows in the neighborhood who the criminals are and what they're up to. Um, and so, yeah, I think the shine is coming off this movement. But we got to keep pushing until we grind them into the dustbin of history.
0: Amen. Well, they don't get much more liberal than the folks in Baltimore. And if they ousted Marilyn Mosby, uh, that's, that's a great sign. I grew up in Baltimore, so <laughs> I know how liberal they are. But uh, listen, even, even liberals want law and order, especially when violence is right outside their doorstep.
1: Well, let me leave you with this thought. Yes. Look, I don't think this is a liberal or conservative thing for the most part for the voters. This is a law and order versus chaos. Right. And so that's why people of common sense in San Francisco gave Chesa Boudin the boot. That's why people of common sense in Baltimore gave Marilyn Mosby the boot. And that's why the American people are going to speak very loud and clear on Tuesday, regardless of party affiliation, and give these sort of uh, radicals the boot.
0: And let's hope so, let's pray so, and let's get out there and vote so. Cully Stimson, thanks for, uh, thanks for shining the spotlight on this. Thanks for the work you do, and thanks for all the folks up at the uh, Heritage Foundation. Great work. Do appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. Thank thanks, you. Cully. Stay with us. I'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Wow. I was really impressed with uh, Cully Stimson of the Heritage Foundation. And uh, yeah, go online and uh, you're going to find this study, the Blue City murder problem. Uh, You'll also find that, uh, boy, what the what the Democrats are accusing the Republicans of is is so out of line and so ridiculous. And yet uh, they're grasping at straws. Uh, Get to a couple of stories uh, uh, along those lines. PJ Media, though, is reporting that um, Paul Pelosi apparently did not immediately declare an emergency or leave his home when police arrived, uh, when this uh, DePapa was uh, hitting him with a hammer. Apparently, Paul Pelosi answered the door, and after he answered the door and the police entered into the room, Paul Pelosi walks back to this uh, DePapi. And uh, it wasn't at that point, he, I guess he goes to grab the hammer or something and DePoppy smacks him in the side of the head. But uh, it's the, the whole thing is just totally bizarre. I mean, you know, the, the original narrative that it was a breaking and entering uh, doesn't sound like it. And again, the 911 call of, that he referred to De Poppy as a friend. Uh, this gets more bizarre all the time. And, of course, any Republican that has questioned the narrative, you know. They, they're immediately vilified as someone who doesn't care, and and they're pro criminal now. I mean, this is one of the examples they're using that oh, see, Amer- uh, Republicans, conservatives, they're not really concerned about uh, crime. And, and a great example of how screwy the liberals are. MSNBC, the so-called historian of MSNBC says a GOP victory might mean your children will be arrested and conceivably killed 50 years from now. Michael Bischloss bills himself as a presidential historian. He's written a couple of books. Somewhere along the line, apparently he realized that the more partisan he is, the more liberal he is, the more airtime he's going to get on MSNBC. So he became a reliable hysteric on the network where hysterics are a way of life. Uh, Bischloss Um, got the designation from MSNBC as their presidential historian. Gives him a little luster, I guess. Uh, In his bid to uh, top his over-the-top colleagues at MSNBC, he now irresponsibly uh, pronounces the most ridiculous. He says, we could be six days away from losing our rule of law. He went on to compare Joe Biden to Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin Roosevelt, <laughs> yeah, and and this guy's a presidential historian for MSNBC, uh, he continued to build to his crescendo in which he argued that in just six days, America could see the beginning of the end. Cut one. Fifty years from now, if historians are allowed to write in this country, and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which, which I'm not certain of, But if that is true, a historian will say, what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. (laughs) Vote for Republicans and they're going to kill your children. Uh, you can't make it up. This is this is what they are saying, and they're serious. And MSNBC has the chutzpah to put it on the air. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system. Could be just a week away. You know, curious, uh, Who is the, who are the people that are tearing down the statues? Who are the people that are rewriting history? Who are the people that um, will censor anybody on social media that doesn't agree with them? I don't think it's the conservatives that will uh, tell historians you're not allowed to report what history actually was. Jonathan Turley, commenting on this madness, says so much for gas prices. The choice is now voting Democrat or lining up your children in front of the firing squad. Uh, Again, Jonathan Turley, constitutionalist, very smart man, not necessarily a uh, automatic uh, vote for Republicans. though. In fact, he said he voted for Joe Biden. It will, uh, it will only be our children and not the adults, he writes, targeted by the GOP and the goon squads. Uh, that's sarcasm, by the way. However, it will all be off the books. After all, Bishloss warned he is not certain that historians will be allowed to write all of it down if the Republicans gain the majority in the Congress. In other words, there may, might not be any history books, no living children, no democracy. But, hey, go ahead. And vote, vote your pocketbook if you want. Vote on the economy if you want. Just remember, when your children are shot and killed by the Republicans, don't blame me. At the same time, Democrats in the January 6th committee are pursuing those who engage in similar inflammatory rhetoric leading up to the January 6th riot. The airways are also now filled with warnings from leaders such as Hillary Clinton that the midterm elections are about to be stolen. Likewise, many are campaigning to ban books by justices like uh, uh, Coney Barrett. I mean, right now, they're talking about not allowing her book, Amy Coney Barrett's book, to be published because of how she voted on Roe. But yet this guy comes out and says, well, historians, we're not going to have them anymore if Republicans get in office. House Majority Whip James Clyburn has now um, blamed the rights demonization of Nancy Pelosi for the attack on Paul Pelosi. In other words, since the Republicans have held Nancy Pelosi accountable, that's why Paul Pelosi was attacked. Although we know that this the Poppy is a left-wing nut job, uh, I doubt if he's listening to Republicans, just saying. And apparently he was a friend of Paul Pelosi's. This country is on track to repeat what happened in Germany, he said. When it was the greatest democracy going, when it elected a chancellor and then co opted the media, Clyburn told Fox News. This past president, talking of Trump, called the press the enemy of the people. What a bunch of crap, Clyburn said. And that's what's going on in this country. So basically, electing the Republican Party, according to Clyburn, it will be like electing Nazis. And according to this uh, MSNBC presidential historian, Just go ahead and line up your children. They're all going to be shot at dawn. Can't make it up. Welcome back in News and Views for a Friday. The Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee today released a 1,050-page report on alleged FBI misconduct based primarily on the testimony of whistleblowers within the agency. The report entitled FBI Whistleblowers, What Their Disclosures Indicate About the Politicization of the FBI and the Justice Department began by stating the FBI is broken under the leadership of Christopher Ray and Attorney General Merrick Garland while also blaming the politicized bureaucracy of the agency. It accused Garland and Ray of overseeing an agency that altered and mischaracterized evidence to federal courts, circumvented safeguards, and exploited weaknesses in policies. Um, the used, uh, the, the, these these uh, phrases were used to describe the FBI. It is rotted at its core... And it has maintained a systemic culture of unaccountability as well as being full of rampant corruption, manipulation and abuse. It also alleged that the FBI may be inflating statistics on the incident of violent extremism across the country as well as diverting resources away from criminal investigations towards more politically relevant areas. Uh, you can't make this up. And uh, this, 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 these are the ones that are supposed to be the watchmen on the wall. Instead, they have decided that they are going to be a part of the uh, democratic progressive mechanism and... Uh, Go after conservatives, go after law-abiding citizens. Uh, This whole report gets into parents at uh, school board meetings. So much of the stuff we've seen happen over the last five or six years at the FBI. And uh, hopefully, as the Republicans take over the House and the Senate next Tuesday, we'll see these FBI agents at the top held accountable. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.